Oh God! Every every morning is every morning is a little suicide. Hi, for the girls. Hi, welcome. This is for the girls podcast. I'm Nick Westrate. I'm Jason Block. Um, and this is just a, a gay, a queer diva podcast where queer people come on and talk about their divas and their fandoms and worshiping women in the performing arts. Yeah, we stand, we stand, we stand. This is a celebratory podcast. Um, sometimes we talk about uh, an individual person. Sometimes we talk about the work of the individual person. Sometimes we talk about the work of multiple individual women. Yes. As we are today. When divas align and make a supernova of a thing that stays with you for a minimum of 18 uh, to 17 years. Oh, who is this a podcast for, Jason? <laughs> it's that 17, 18 thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 17 <laughs> or 18, depends. This is also, it's a math <laughs> and a history right, yeah. podcast as well. Um, who is this, this podcast? Is This podcast is for the minutes. Mm, this podcast is for sad bookworms. Um, this, this podcast is using rocks, um, innovatively. <laughs> this podcast is for ladies who just have to buy all the flowers. <laughs> this podcast is for walking on Philip Glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> this is a podcast for a movie with a min, only movies with a minimum of nine divas. <laughs> Babe, who do we have today? Today we have Joe Reed, oh, great guys. film critic and host of this at Oscar Buzz, one of our favorite podcasts. Hi, Joe. Hi. Oh, my God. I am, first of all, super, super flattered that you guys had me on here to talk about my favorite movie. I'm just going to like, <sighs> it was so, I've, okay, talk about like, all right, I'm just going to jump in. The like, the self-inflicted like shame sometimes where it's just like it took me so long to just say that this was my favorite movie like oh, to just like be mm-hmm. out with it it's just like i'm sure there are better movies and like more accomplished and whatever it's just like no fuck it like this is my favorite movie it's it's the one i watched the most it's the one i love the most and it's the best I don't, well, I, well i also think it's because you have a podcast that you don't always get to stay on the subject you talk about. Right. Right. Sometimes we love the movies. Cause yes. Right. Cause the whole idea is that these are movies that Zodiac, you'd love Zodiac. I listened to that episode. Totally love Zodiac. We've got an episode coming up probably by the time this podcast is up, it'll be uh, already on our, on our feed. We talk about much ado about nothing. The Ken <gasps> Rana, Emma oh. Thompson, much ado about nothing. And like, yeah, love that one. And, but yeah, sometimes we talk about movie, like it's, it's a nice mix actually. Cause I feel like we're not, two in one direction or another it gives us a nice mix but i do love to talk about movies that are that we you know want to you know show a claim for yeah i mean i love your i you also did evening which is like the sequel to this yes movie. oh my god yes the epilogue too. well michael cunningham this. wrote it he wrote the screenplay Michael Cunningham wrote it, and there are there's a lot of cast crossover. I used to go to a movie trivia night in Williamsburg every week for a long time. And if you were a regular, they let you um, write a guest round of trivia. And my and you would like theme it around something. So mine was of course themed around the hours. And it was this was not like gay trivia. This was like movie nerd trivia. So like there were some gay people, but it was like it was mostly movie nerd trivia. So like the groan that I got when I was like my theme is the hours, and everyone's like, Ugh. and I was just like, don't worry, don't worry, you don't have to be a psycho like me. And I sort of like there were questions that sort of platformed off of the hours usually, but the one that was really hard, I said who were the four actresses who are in both the hours 
and evening. And it's Oh, Claire Danes. This is Claire Danes. One. Claire Meryl Danes Street. is one. Meryl Streep. Eileen Atkins. Eileen Atkins is the one that nobody got, by the oh, way. Oh, I wouldn't like, get that. One. I wouldn't get that. Yeah. I wouldn't get that. Because Eileen Atkins is in both of them very briefly. Like and Tony, briefly. And Tony Collette? And Tony Collette's Tony the fourth one. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. I win. When, yes. You, you would have, <laughs> yes. God, where were you guys that night? Um, But it was, yeah. Evening is doesn't turn out as well. <laughs> Well, what what you what you also what you also did, which is when I hear evening, I instantly think evening star, and you also did evening star in your podcast. We have done both of the iconic evening movies. I love (laughs) those movies, you guys. If anyone, if any of our battle angels do not listen to this, had Oscar buzz, like fully go go there. It's so good. I it's one of my only appointments since making a podcast. I listen to fewer podcasts. But it's still one I, totally I listen get to. That. Well, I also Star episode is really fun, and that also has a casting crossover with the hours because uh, Miranda Richardson is in that mm. movie, playing Shirley MacLaine's like nemesis, which is great. What I also love about your podcast is I think it does the thing of, uh, that all, like everyone that read Leonard Martin. Did I say that name right? Uh, Malton. Malton. Well, I who I didn't read. I read a, I, my movie um, catalog was Video Hound. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were so big and, and trouble cumbersome, and I used to carry them in my backpack. Every year I'd get one. But anyone who read those books and, like, Nick, who would get, like, Oscar books for, for his, like, 12th, like, Christmas, you kind of have captured that lightning in a bottle. That every, All the games that everyone wants to play, I think, just fabulous. I'm I'm always so encouraged by hearing that other people have the same sort of psychotic niches that Chris and I do, my co-host Chris File, um, where we will talk about um, getting super excited for Entertainment Weekly fall preview issues that come out, <laughs> and just like finding out that like other people were exactly as psycho about that that kind of stuff as us, it's just like okay, this is good. Like we're not, we weren't alone somehow. You're not alone. Yeah. Well, I have some, I have some Oscar games to play at the end of the episode. Yay. Oh, excellent. But- if, in case anyone hasn't figured this out, we're doing the movie The Hours, and let's let's just go around the three of us and name the divas. I'll start Meryl Streep. Margot Martindale. Joe, go. <laughs> Tony Collette. Miranda motherfucking Richardson. Oh, Justice. This is, I want Justice. I want to pin that says Justice. Justice, justice. for Miranda Richardson. Justice for Miranda, please. Every time I see her, I think, you oh. deserve justice. Isn't she that does. right? She does. Yes. She absolutely does. Yes. I she thought does. she was in more than one Harry Potter film. <laughs> that's how good she is. <laughs> Does she only just show up in that one? I guess so. I guess that's just right. that. Yeah, just goblet but of fire. Let me tell you, Harry Potter shows up every week on this podcast. Thanks to <laughs> Jay Bear over here, <laughs> she is a full. Jason is a full turf with her <laughs> J.K. Rowling. Problematic. Okay, it's it. not true. Scratch! Don't fucking turf. say that. <laughs> Now it's forever. Now it's on the internet. Forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, your turn, Jay. Name another diva. Name another diva. Did I already say Claire Danes? Oh, Claire Danes. My love, my light. Claire Danes uh, doing sweater work like nobody's business in this movie. That knitwear, that knitwear with those, um, I don't even know what kind. I was trying to figure out. It was like an army style pant that she had on. That was kind of pushing her up. Yes. Yeah. It was quite the costume. 
we're also doing the book on our Patreon. So Jay and I, so everyone stay around uh, in two days on the Patreon will come out. We're doing uh, for the girls book club. Wonderful. And we will talk about, because the character in the book, the daughter is much, much more, more intensely dykey. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, yes. Doesn't she have like a girlfriend that like mm-hmm. shows mm-hmm. up at some point? Yes. Yeah. I who's like her teacher. That. Yes. She I also was... has a shaved head in the book too. Oh shit, yeah. I forgot about that part. I actually did, I read the book after I saw the movie, as is the case with most of the things. Although then, because I got so into it, I read the book of A Home at the End of the World before oh. I saw that movie. And so I think that sort of contributed to me not loving that movie as much because I love that book. I was That book is it. one of my favorite books. I love Michael Cunningham so much. The other divas are Julianne Moore, Queen Nicole, Kidman, uh, Eileen Atkins, and Allison Janney and Allison Janney Academy Award winner Allison Janney they um Michael Cunningham I love so much and this um when I saw this movie this is my origins I guess I'll start with my origins oh I love it love it but I was at Juilliard I was in drama school and this is like the ultimate drama school moment you're watching the greatest actresses ever do the most like realistic felt amazing scenes with a David Hare adapted script off of this beautiful movie. And I can't even talk to you about the full blown meltdown panic attack, weeping in the Lowe's Lincoln center (laughs) lobby. Like I was full Clarissa Vaughn in the lobby, like against a wall, having a panic attack after seeing this movie. But I ended up reading all of Michael Cunningham's books. And then I met, I've met him twice. Oh, wow. Once I met him at a book signing in central park and I started crying when I got to the table and I didn't even have a book. <laughs> I don't know how many and gay started, guys have done this. I think none, but here I go. But he ended up taking me on a walk around the Central Park floating pond and like like getting me to calm down. And we took this little walk. Oh my God. And then he went back to his book signing. And then later I was introduced to him by a friend who was like, text Michael Cunningham when you're in Provincetown. And I went over to his house with my other friend, Nick Mayo. And we all painted our toenails together on his deck before he had his book club. And oh, he wow. was so sweet. And I had midnight blue toenails for a month because I used his nail polish. So <laughs> hi, Michael Cunningham. Hi. I feel like I also know somebody who had like a met Michael Cunningham in Provincetown story. I feel like. And, and painted toenails. This not is his as gig. good as that. Nick's like, no, wait, what? Was, it was this is not what he as does? good as a painted toenail story. No, that seems very. Uh... So that's, uh, yeah, he's amazing. He's a beautiful human. Read by everyone buy his books. All right, well, I guess I'll origin? go. Oh, well, I'll do my origin, then we'll do Joe's because he's our guest. He's he's a, the the he's great the star, the star. He's, he's the lead you. diva. Learn Cole Kidman. <laughs> right. Yes. My origin is you, Nick. Um, you came over to my house with with a DVD and had my mom and I sit down in the middle of the day to watch this movie. This very important movie to you. We had to stop, probably gardening, <laughs> and like gather. And it was such a Shelley movie. Do you know? I mean, this is like mom-centric, like like costume drama. That's a high. That's her high art. But then here's here's the part two of this. You know, the second movie. I think the only other movie I remember you doing this when we were adults was or like teenagers. And I and so that was Michelle's exact thing that you should have done. But the second one was a real like, honey, what? Was it another year by Mike no, Lee? No, God, no! But you did uh, do that to me. Such a no, good movie. it's way, way worse. Cachet. 
Oh, I did. Oh my God. <laughs> Michael Haneke's cachet. I was obsessed. Oh, my God. Juliette Binoche. So, oh, my God. What a great But great not movie. a mother's movie. Not a mother's Throat, movie. Throats being slit very suddenly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. No, Michael, Michael Haneke is not a mom a mom movie maker. No. Okay, okay Joe. Origin time. How, where okay. were you? What were so, you doing? I was just out of college at this point, And I was like... Out of college, fully without a purpose, still in Buffalo, still, I got a job at my college, at Canisius College in Buffalo, at the library there, like, working nights and weekends, because, like, I was so not ready to jump into being an adult quite yet, so I was just like, why don't I find a way to linger at college a little more? So, I was working nights and weekends there, and what I would do was, I would get up to uh, campus early, I would go to the sort of art house theater that wasn't too far from there. And I would see like a two o'clock movie and then I would go right into work. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was like, and I would do that all the time. And so my cute little art house theater that had like three screens and it would always show it. That's where all like the Miramax movies would go. The focus features movies, the like all the shit that I was like super into. And so by this point, I'm really starting to get into the Oscar thing. I'm finding all the, like the Oscar speculation websites and all that sort of stuff and getting super into like looking forward to like what's going to be this year's Oscar stuff. And so, and the, also at that time, um, Apple had this like t- movie trailers site on the internet. Cause this was pretty much before YouTube became such a thing. And so I would go onto this Apple trailer site and every day I would watch the same four trailers. I would watch the hours, Chicago, um, white Oleander <laughs> And Ooh. adaptation. And so those were the big, Ooh. like, late 2002 movies that I was, like, super, super, super psyched about. So I saw The Hours at the Amherst Theater in Buffalo uh, before work one of those days in December of 2002. And I loved it so much, like, so immediately so much. And I immediately, I think the next weekend, um, made my mom go see it with me, <laughs> which was... Like, time. it was the like truly, and I wasn't out yet, by the way, also, which is hysterically funny. Um, and wouldn't, <laughs> hey, hey, another, bro, like, mom, mom, we gotta see this. Well, it was, it was so funny because I was just like, it would be another like maybe year or two until I came out, but I was just like, and I said, what I was saying in retrospect, I was just like, unofficially, like it was the day I took you to go see the hours, though, right? Because like, <laughs> who are we kidding at that point? Um, and my mom was very sort of polite about what she knew. She's just like, that was a very interesting movie. And I was just like, it's so good. Oh my God. Like all these mean, all this, you know, all these meanings in these actresses. But yeah, any movie that had this number of actresses in it, I was very into the Nicole Kidman story at this time, the post-divorce blossoming of Nicole Kidman Uh. at this time. This was when I was just really seriously getting into Meryl Streep, because at this point I was looking up her filmography. I'll stop monologuing in a second. Um, I was looking up her filmography and I was just like, how much Meryl would I have reasonably seen at this point? Because like, I didn't go back and watch like your Sophie's Choice or your, you know, French Lieutenant's Woman or Kramer versus Kramer until well after I had seen The Hours. So at this point I was a Meryl fan from stuff like Death Becomes Her yep. and The River Wild, which I loved <laughs> mm-hmm. and still love. And she Devil. She Devil, yep. I thought she was hysterical in She Devil. It's so funny that I found out later that her reputation at that time in the 90s was, oh, Meryl can't do comedy. Because two of the movies that like made me fall in love with her were uh, She Devil and Death Becomes Her, which were her like comedies at that point. She's so funny. And, and I still she... say Death Becomes Her, for me, top three. 
greatest Meryl. She's so fantastic in that movie. And it's, and it's again, it's actress on actress because it's her and Goldie, like head to head. Mm. So it was those movies. And also, weirdly, I was really into One True Thing. I loved Meryl and <gasps> One True Thing. Oh, well, One True Thing destroyed my, that's my whole. Ooh. It was and also. You know, our, our diva Bette Midler yeah. did the song for that movie. Oh, my one true friend. I remember yes. that. Yes. And it was also like Nick and I's first time of seeing someone on screen because she, Meryl Streep plays a character who is a fan of Bette Midler. That's like one of her running um, right. things. Like she's playing Bette Midler in the car. Nick and I were like, is this possible? Is this possible? <laughs> we felt like huge Bette, Bette had representation happening in that film. Of course. And, uh, I mean, I, I kind of mark this movie maybe maybe one true thing is before it but i mark the hours as the beginning of the modern street passants absolutely that an adaptation in the same year absolutely is what happened yep yeah and like her just at the be- let's start at the beginning of this movie when she fucking flips up from that sink it, with that gray hair i feel like she's announcing the mature meryl Oh, absolutely. Yes. She's and it's like, I'm menopausal. I'm here. I have gray hair and I'm going to take over the rest of cinema for the rest of my life. I'm going to or- be the only bankable woman over 50 in Hollywood. <laughs> and yeah. Truly. Until Sandra Bullock fully redefined age oh, later. 100%. But- well, she yeah. froze age. Meryl Streep, at least, was like, <laughs> right. okay, this is it. Like, let's get to the Double Wars Prada. Let's do that run. You know, okay, I feel so- like she did that run in that this age bracket. But Okay, let's get into this movie because yes. I'm ready to go through this entire movie. I, I, this, I feel like I could do a doctoral. If I wasn't a doctoral program, I would write my doctoral thesis on the movie The Hours. Uh, I would fully support that and I would read the hell out of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you and every white fag bitch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it just means something so much to me. Me too. Me too. It's not everyone in the New York classroom. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay, let's just start with, there's nothing like starting a movie with a full-on suicide. Like, let's walk honey, into the river. Honey. This is my fault mood. <laughs> yep, absolutely. With a pumpkin latte, like, in hand. I'm going to kill myself now. I'm going to finish my pumpkin latte. I'm going to put several large rocks in the yep. cup. Put the cup in my pocket <laughs> and walk into the river. <laughs> There's that moment, um, and it might be right as the title card is coming up, where she sort of just like floats by, um, and her coat is sort of just like billowing. And uh, first of all, all the like costume de- details in this movie are super fantastic. Tenth and... Diva and Roth. Oh, there we go. Diva oh, and Roth, it. costume designer who I've worked with <laughs> twice, who I'm obsessed with. There are so many great costumes in it. Well, I mean, the the red jacket that Allison Janney wears, which I don't know. I got to show you my uh, phone wallpaper there. Allison Janney. Yeah, can you see? <gasps> is, that your, is, that, is that always your background? It has been for the last month. I change it sort of semi-regularly. But yeah, uh, two other photos of the hours. <laughs> right. Okay, so my... Uh, 40th birthday was a few weeks ago, which... Happy birthday! birthday. Thank you. I've decided that nothing counts this year because everything shut down, so... True, 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 true. I'm going to celebrate it next year. But the one thing I was able to do was my friends and I got together, and I was like, it's my birthday. I want to do something on uh, fun on Zoom rather than just, like, chaotic talking over each other. So I was just like, let's do a reading of the hours. Oh, (laughs) shit. We're not playing around here, kids. No, 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 no. Not casual. 
Yeah. And so we did that. And I was, I did the narration stage directions and everybody else sort of like played a character and it was so much fun. It was really, really fantastic. Oh my God. Can I, if we, if you do a live one next year, can I audition <laughs> to play Clarissa Vaughn? Absolutely. Please. No, yes. wait a minute. This is what I want to say. Just like all, just like all the good gays do with sex in the city and golden girls. Who are we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great question. I'm yeah. a full Clarissa Vaughn and I have a whole doctoral dissertation to get to about it. I thought, I know you are, babe. I also think you could be Virginia Woolf, too, but... Oh, I am drinking a cold cup of coffee now in honor of Miss Virginia Woolf. And you're in the <laughs> and you're in the woods for your mental state. That's true. I've been sent to the country because I was depressed. <laughs> well, if you want to pick here, like, you have to really go for details because, like, uh, like the Golden Girls is all about everybody's a different type. And in this one, it's just like, oh, they're all, like, secretly the same, right? Like, they all mm-hmm. have... I My favorite thing about this, I mean, going... This will go into your doctoral thesis when you actually write it, is all the, like, little things that overlap. Everything in this movie overlaps. We're, like, Meryl's, you know, making something with eggs and Julianne's making a cake and... Um, mm-hmm. Virginia's afraid to go in the kitchen. Like it's all this sort of just like little uh, uh, parallels. Everything's about parallels, and that's and iconically the beginning of the movie, which yes. just strikes me. Which is just Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. Sally, I think I'll buy the flowers myself. What? Yeah, exactly. That's right. They all, at some point, like, they go through their, like, morning rituals. Philip Glass is, like, tearing it up. It's so, like, plinky, plinky, plink. Everything's perfect. Everything's great. The first sight you have of Kidman in this as Virginia, where... She's talking to Leonard about, like, whatever, breakfast. And then mm-hmm. she deflects him and is just like, Leonard, I believe I may have a first sentence. Which means just, like, leave me the fuck alone for the rest of today. Um, yes. But he says something about, like, breakfast or whatever, and she, like, turns around and she sort of, like, whips around on the staircase and sort of, like, looks at him. And it's, like, it's not meant specifically to be scary, but, like, in the trailer it was absolutely cut as, like, a, like, drama <laughs> Mm-hmm. and i always remember that that's one of my favorite moments in the movie she her virginia is much sharper and meaner than the virginia in the book and i love it oh yes. see so i she, think the opposite oh really yeah i i think she's a little bit um she's scattered to me in the movie you know she's always mm. kind her brains are like a couple steps ahead of what she's trying to do and she's always kind of shocked by the next event no? What, Joe, yeah, no. be the deciding factor. To me, I, it feels like she's very calculating in the movie and knows really? how to... Yeah, I think she knows how to... I think she, you get that in that early moment where she knows how to get uh, Leonard to get off her back about um, having breakfast and being, you know, sociable. And then the scene that always gets me is when she goes and gets uh, Nellie in the kitchen. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> You do remember that my sister is coming at four with the children? Yes, ma'am, I haven't forgotten. China tea, I think. And ginger. Ginger, madam. I'd like to give the children a treat. We'd have to go to London for ginger, madam. I haven't finished this, and there's the rest of lunch to get ready. The 
12.30 train, Nellie, we'll get you into London just after one. If you return on the 2.30, you should be back in Richmond soon after three. Do I miscalculate? No. Well, then, is something detaining you, Nellie? And that, to me, is, like, this iconic battle of wills between Mm -hmm. the lady of the house, who is, like, as Miranda Richardson's character says later, she's like, you're scared of the servants. And so... It's like to combat being like intimidated by the house staff she just like uses her advantage and she finds a way to just like needle her and like get her to go on this trip to town that she doesn't want to do and that to me is again just this fantastic little piece of character for Virginia and you get to see so much of who she is in that moment and let's shout out to 11th diva Linda Bassett Linda Bassett is so great she's so, great so in this. good Oh, I love, she, yeah, I love that battle between them. It's so interesting the uh, how much you don't get, and we'll talk about this in the book uh, episode on Patreon, but so much of what's happening to Virginia mentally that Michael Cunningham makes so clear and that in this movie is really provided by Philip Glass. churnings the three of them is given by this constant repetitive glass score well and i think that's what i mean with virginia she always seems like there's something she's like maybe she maybe she's calculated on the outside but there's always seemingly something in her mind like a play that's playing out inside of her that she's Mm -hmm. constantly abdueling with what's that beautiful thing that miranda richardson says like uh, to the niece the little girl your aunt's a very lucky woman angelica she has two lives. She has the life she's leading and also the books she's writing. This makes her very fortunate indeed. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Also, I would like everyone Swoon the movie. This, this is yeah. Swoon the movie, right? Like yes. oh, sigh and swoon. Oh, gorgeous. Everyone listening to this needs to write a thank you note for, to Nicole Kidman for single-handedly inventing whispering. <laughs> She invented whispering. She whispering that you can movie. hear. <laughs> yes, she yes. invented it in this film. I was going to kill my heroine. But I've changed my mind. Oh, because she makes you come right to her. She's oh. not going to put out too much at all. When she's all that, all those moments where she's writing uh, little lines from Mrs. Dalloway and you can hear her sort of either in voiceover or when she says, like Mrs. Dalloway said, she would buy the flowers herself. And it is, it is a plus whisper acting. Absolutely true. Oh my God. When she whispers, I can this is also, yes, it is in the movie. It's also the single most dramatic movie to ever be made. When she <laughs> lays next to that dead bird yes! and qu- asks it about the nature of death. Yes. What happens when we die? What happens? We return to the place that we came from. I don't remember where I came from. Nor do I. 
looks very small. Yes. Yes, that's one of the things that happens. We look smaller. But very peaceful. I was like... I also love that, like, she can, like, that little girl, her little niece, is also going to grow up to be, like, this very intensely soulful person. Because, like, you mm. can tell it's just, like, she's, you know, she also wants to know about the birds. And why, why is it, uh, is it a ladybird? Is it a sad bird? Like, it was just like, oh, my God, you are going to be the creepiest adult, and I love it. And good thing that little girl had supersonic hearing so she could hear Nicole Kidman's reply. Is it a she? Yes, the females are larger and less colorful. Well, okay, so here's a game I wanted to play, which is we're all over the place already. But yes, is sorry. um no no, but that's that's our vibe. Real real unfocused, <laughs> unfocused but fun is our review. Um, it's our brand. Yeah. Is um I think I think my A plus um uh, guest guest in this is is Miranda Richardson because I feel. She gives you some of the most input as to who this main character is. The kind yeah. of the trouble yeah. that she the troubles that are haunting Virginia is so apparent in Miranda Richardson's performance and it's so delicately done that by the end you're just crushed when she leaves. Yes. And you're crushed of the fragility that mm. is Virginia. Yeah, go go. go. I, I, well, I was gonna say that's another one of those things where it's it's paralleled in the movie where she is the guest in the Virginia part, and Tony Collette is Julianne Moore's guest, and then Jeff Daniels is Meryl's guest, and all three of those those visits bring out like what is at the root of the problem of all three mm. of the women, and when they leave, they're like really acutely aware of this sort of whatever kind of uh, emptiness is. Mm going on in them right there and it's so mm -hmm. and all three of those interactions are like super super compelling and yeah Miranda Richardson's fucking great I love her there's this such um the, at the root of this story in the book and the movie for me and what kind of struck me as a young gay person so hard was the idea of the, your outward facing persona Mm. and your inward true self yeah and like i think a lot of us are um deal with that in a very big way in our late teens early 20s at least i did like you're going out into the world you're having to be a human without family right and this idea with miranda richardson in those scenes um nessa is the fully social the full super ego the full like right fun she can handle life she can handle children she can handle servants she can handle trips in of in town and out of town yep and virginia is the full id the full internal she is just so inside herself and dealing with life at all is um almost completely soul destroying yeah. And that's, that last scene between the two of them really hit me this time in a way that it hadn't before when she asks, like... Say something, Nessa. Didn't you think I seemed better? <laughs> but you knew you seemed better. You think... You think I may one day escape? One day. Nessa. 
And I think of it as much of those three scenes. I also think of the three kisses in the movie. Absolutely. The kiss between Miranda and Virginia, the kiss between Tony and Julianne and the kiss between at the end between Allison and Meryl. Yes. And what they represent. And this kiss to me is so, is like a save me. They're, they're like pleading. Please. They're all three. Like Joe said, they're all three. The pleading, the pleading case of my life. Like I, I need confirmation that I'm alive and I'm going yes. to survive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. all I can do is just kiss you to get that. And you know, that, that idea of confirmation that I know it's not going to end well for me or that things are dark. But if you just say, I'm okay for a second, if you kiss me for a second, yeah. I can I can live on that for just a little bit more. Yep. And it's so and Miranda Richardson in that in that moment where they look at her face and you can tell that she knows that she's at once playing that role and yeah. she can't save Virginia. Come on, Come, Angelica, we must go. Goodbye. Goodbye, little girl. I was she's, talking yeah. to a friend of mine years and years ago um, about the hours. And we were talking about the, the, the parallels of the kisses. And he mentioned that like the one at the end with Meryl and Alice and Janney. And he was just like, that to me ends the movie on such this like ambiguous slash almost like dark note where it's just like Clarissa has spent her whole adult life sort of catering to Richard and sort of funneling her life through his and now he's gone and he's like and now there she is at the end of the movie like frantically searching for like the next person to grasp onto and she literally Mm -hmm. just like grabs sally with both hands and kisses her and he's like it seemed very desperate and very um like you want to know like what that means for like their future and i'm just like and i've always since then looked at that scene sort of in that way of just like oh wow like because for much of the movie she's super distant from sally like sally comes home um yeah i'm always so intrigued by what sally is coming home from by the way i always i go back and forth and that you'll nick you can tell me remind me from the book if it's anything that's in the book but like i always go half and half between sally's fucking around and sally like is maybe a bartender or something like that like i'm not entirely sure why it's, she's coming home it's first different thing in the morning. it's different from the book in the book she's like a much more like granola pbs producing lesbian i see i see and she, you know um in the movie david hare kind of like adds this little bit of possible sexual dalliance yeah but i do want to talk about this kiss because i in this viewing of it had a different view and i we usually go chronologically through the movie but i'm so glad we're not no we it's, don't it's, <laughs> don't lie no it's, we don't that kiss to me i okay first side note unexpected mvp this rewatch was julianne moore especially oh, girl. in this in this final scene with the age makeup as laura brown yep for me that kiss comes right out of hearing laura brown say it was death. I chose life. That's a really good. That's a really and good she, take. And she and it's actually. like Meryl has been has been like you said. She's been so immersed with Richard. And I'll talk about this more when we talk about that scene with Jeff Daniels. But she's been so immersed in this person's death and this person's definition of herself and her lack of defining who she is and what she wants. She was kind of dying with him. Like, yeah. yeah. And and like he was this anchor and he does, I think, kill himself to save her. Mm -hmm. 
it is like an act of generosity. And like Virginia says, someone has to die in order that the rest of us should value life more. And for me, it was hopeful this time when she went in with Sally and like going off of her conversation with Claire, when Claire says, even Sally, you know, you're like, are you floating through yeah. that? And, yes, 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 yeah. And she learns from Laura Brown, you know, to choose life. Yeah. And she goes in there and she kisses Sally as like, and whether it'll stick or not, as this affirmation to I'm going to try to live in the moment in my life. Yep. And I'm going to love the woman who I've been with for 10 years. And that was somehow I found hope in the hours. This well, time. even I yeah. would say that she chose, she also chose, Clarissa chose a dead relationship. You know, she chose, you know, she, Richard, Richard was her, her obsession with Richard was a dead relationship that she was oh, choosing. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think that that is, I think that, and there's also something in there that she's like, there's life in front of me. She even says to her daughter, you know, that, that pivotal scene where she's straight up like, when I'm with him, I feel, yes, I am living. And when I'm not with him, yes, everything does seem sort of silly. Right. Claire's like, what the fuck? I'm alive with Richard. Yeah, yeah. By the way, speaking of that, before we get off of that kissing for uh, uh, fully, did you ever see the story that Alice and Janney told on Graham Norton about that scene? About filming that scene with Meryl? So she, I think it was in the guise of just sort of just like... um, kissing scenes in movies and she said that she's like Meryl Streep gave me like the greatest uh piece of advice as a sort of like because she was you know Janie was still getting into movies a little bit like she was obviously Mm -hmm. on already on West Wing at this point um but she said that that day filming that Meryl was uh sort of unsatisfied with the way that scene was being lit and was uh sort of frustrated and so she said to yeah um (laughs) Said to Janny, she's like, I'm going to kiss you. Um, cu- uh, and she didn't like the way it was, especially uh, sort of like being lit on the two of them. And she's like, I'm going to kiss you. And when I'm kiss you, I'm going to sort of take your face in my hands and pull. She sort of like pulled like Janny's face back a little bit. And because Janny's telling the story, she's just like, she's like, my face has these sort of like lines in it. And, you know, little, you know, jowly and whatever. Um, if I'm not lit perfectly well and so meryl like sort of kisses her and as she's kissing her she like sort of like pulls her face back um and jamie was just like it's an instant facelift it's totally perfect um and i notice that now every single time i watch i watch oh, yeah oh i love that yes sisters are looking out for each other yeah, yeah exactly so the other okay so let's I'm, on, I'm really. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. Yes, so she is. puts rocks in her pockets <laughs> and she's getting in with, with her pumpkin latte. Okay, we're starting here. Right. <laughs> no, but uh, to continue on this idea with Richard, um, I realized the ultimate scene for me in this movie is the Jeff Daniels scene. I love that scene so much. Is the panic attack. Yep. Um, and two things to say about this is originally it was shot with Jelko Ivanic. Yes. Yeah. So Jelko Ivanic was, and then he was recast and they redid this entire scene yep. with Jeff Daniels, which I'm, I don't really know why, but um, do you know why, Joe? Never heard that full story. I've only, that's, Chris always brings that up when we talk about um, the hours, as we often do. We <laughs> often uh, wind our way into talking about the hours on the podcast. Um, and that's one of the sort of like the great what ifs. I do wonder if, I think Daniels, to my sort of mind's eye, is better casting because he comes across 
as younger and sort of prettier, which is no mm. like slight against Delco Ivanic, but like I think Jeff Daniels is easier to cast in this. I think when you want um Lewis to be to seem foolish, to seem sort of like uh almost infuriatingly carefree when he tells that story about um yeah. he's left Richard behind and now he's dating this college student, whatever, and like the fury that is in Clarissa when she's hearing about what how you know Lewis cut all ties with Richard and now he's free. And um right. and that's what sort of like kills her is that like he's been able to escape, not only escape all those emotions that they all had, but then to freely like go back and revisit them and not be destroyed by it. And that like ruins her because she's been like slowly dying in these like memories of whatever that, you know, life she might've had forever. And I think Daniels is able to sort of portray that in, you know, you, you, it's easier to like be furious at him because it's just like, Oh my God, right. you're, like, you know, you're young and handsome and whatnot. I read the book. Oh, God. Exactly. I thought you were meant to do more than just change people's names. Well. Isn't it meant to be fiction? He even had you living on 10th Street. It isn't me. Isn't it? You know how Richard is. It's a fantasy. A whole chapter on should she buy some nail polish? And then guess what? After 50 pages, she doesn't. And the other amazing behind the scenes story of this scene is that the when the water shoots mm-hmm. back, yes, like they were having a lot of trouble getting this take, and Meryl was not; she was having trouble with the scene. Yeah, and that water shooting out, she says, like jolted her into the moment. Oh, fantastic! And then like set forward that whole. It wasn't play on. They kept that. They kept that scene. It was not like it wasn't. Yeah. And they're like, okay, and this that, is and then it's like working. a long shot down. It follows her down. Yep. <laughs> Um, oh, I don't know what's happening. I'm sorry. I seem to be in some strange sort of mood. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, uh, it's very rude of me. I seem to be unraveling. I shouldn't have come. No, it's not you. It's not you. It's more like having a presentiment. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, God, it's probably just nerves about the party, you know. Bad hostess. Clarissa, what's happening? Jesus. What is it? Oh, Oh, God. Do you want me to go? No, don't go. Don't. Don't go. Explain to me why this is happening. Don't. Don't touch me, Jesus. It's better if you don't. It's just too much. You fly in from San Francisco, and I've been nursing Richard for years. And all the time, I've held myself together. No problem. I know. One morning, in Wellfleet, You were there. We were all there. I'd been sleeping with him, and I was out on the back porch. He came out behind me, and he put his hand on my shoulder. Good morning, Mrs. Dalloway. 
then on, I've been stuck. Stuck? Yeah. <laughs> With the name, I mean. And now you walk in to see you walk in because I never see you. Look at you. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was you he stayed with. It was you he lived with. I had one summer. And that, I realized this time that that, uh, what she is realizing is uh, that Richard's definition of her as Mrs. Dalloway mm -hmm. is something that she's been playing out, that she's let define her so much. It's become her personality. It's become her whole life. Yeah. Being this man's view of her. Yeah. And that that is why she's unraveling. And, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, there's Meryl's nothing saying, better. There's nothing better than having a party to hide your depression or discomfort. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm just gonna put on this party dress. I'm gonna buy yeah. all these flowers, and it will be good. It will. It'll be Jorinda. Make it nice. This <laughs> and, is me. This is such a me thing. Like when she says, "Oh, you know, bad hostess." Yeah, I have that. That's me this morning texting you. You know, <laughs> just being like, I have that hostess anxiety sure. and. I remember originally like getting this on DVD. I was living with Jason and my friend Mariah, my first New York roommate. Uh -huh. And whenever we would throw these big parties and she would always like kind of rub my back and be like, it's okay. You're not going to be a bad hostess. Cause I would, <laughs> I can start acting a bit like Clarissa Dalloway. But I think, and I still, I, I still walk around and try to buy these flowers. I don't think it's just, I'm Clarissa. I don't think it's just anxiety. I think it's, it's also that, it's it, it's not just that she's anxious about the party. It's that she's trying to have the party fix something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fix the relationship, fix how she's feeling. And it's, it's, it's when she, I think when she finally does that breakdown, that realization that, yeah. that this is, I can't hide this anymore. Right. I can't well, mask this. And I think and that's what that flower shop scene does too, is uh, when she's talking uh -huh. to Barbara in the flower shop, which Eileen Atkins, a plus plus work. Um, a plus wig, a, plus, a wig. plus shade. So much shade. Barbara the Shade Queen. I love her so much. <laughs> um, but I think what that scene does is you get Barbara's perspective on everything where like you look at this party from a certain angle and it's super fucking depressing where this um, great sort of like author and poet who seems if not misunderstood sort of critically or within his uh, field at least wrote this novel that nobody seems to have enjoyed. So his career isn't exactly at this like high point and he's dying. And it seems like there's this moment, there's the line where like he's pushed everybody in his life away, except for Clarissa. So like you have the feeling that like all these people coming to this party are probably going to like have these mixed feelings about Richard. And from an angle, this party is just like an incredibly depressing affair. And meanwhile, Clarissa's trying to, she's buying flowers and she's making the crab mm -hmm. thing and it's all whatever. Flowers. What a beautiful morning. Hi, Clarissa. How are you? <laughs> I'm having a party. My friend Richard's won the Carruthers. Wow, that's just terrific. If I knew what it was. 
It's a poetry prize for a life's work. It's the most prestigious. For a poet, it's the best you can do. Oh, very good. And trying so hard to make it pretty and to make it seem... Uh, make it nice, as he said. To make really, it nice. Yeah. Fuck, if any, the crab thing is so real for anyone. Hey, I'm, I'm going to make that crab thing. thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll well, go to let's that. Talk, let's talk about that fucking scene, because I'll tell you, I have been known to have a rant about straight people playing gay people, yeah. and fucking Ed Harris is the exception that proves the rule, because I love this. I love this performance. I think it's so, But so didn't he get read for felt. filth for this? Like, weren't people like, you hammy queen, enough of you? I feel like the at, critic, Joe, tell me. At the time, yes. I remember at the time, he got the Oscar nomination for it. So, like, clearly there was enough critical community support for the performance. But at the time, I especially remember uh, gay critics being or if you know people you know writing and commenting out there having their opinions known um did feel like he was he was a lot he was over the top he was um being hammy sort of like hamming it up and i remember i kind of internalized that initially too and every subsequent time i've seen this movie all eight billion times i've seen it I like him better. And it's just like, even like, it's just like a little bit better, mm-hmm. a little bit better. And by now I'm, I'm with you, Nick. I think he's really fantastic. I, I love him so much. And I think he has, I would like the parallels between his mania and Virginia's mania were really alive for me. Like yeah. the, the same desire, that same, almost like genetic, like he got it through Laura Brown's love of books. Like he just mm. like caught, he like caught Virginia Woolf from his mother and, right. and that deep pain he has from his mother. And I, all of it is so alive for me in that. And that line, Jay, he's, he expresses what you're talking about when he looks at her and says, Oh, Mrs. Dalloway, always giving parties to cover the silence. You know, it's so... And Meryl just giving the acting tour de force. Fucking of like, kills this. This is my favorite Meryl scene. Yeah. All such of her a fucking, Such a fucking... And it's also such an acting, like, class thing to do. Of like, I'm going to clean up the room. Yes. Oh, my God. It's very... So much business going on. She's always moving. She's always doing something. How long have you been doing that? How many years? Coming to the apartment. What about your own life? What about Sally? Just wait till I die. Then you'll have to think of yourself. How are you going to like that? Richard? It would be great if you did come to the party. If you felt well enough to come. Just to let you know I am making the crab thing. Not that I imagine it makes any difference to you. Richard's apartment is fascinating to me. This is my favorite sort of thing about the hours in general and my um, enthusiasm for this movie is I always, you always get these movies that, I mean, for lack of a better word, straight culture, but also just like general movie culture gets obsessed with these, you know, your Star Wars, your uh, Goodfellas or whatever, where every little piece of minutia and every little thing becomes its own kind of iconic thing, whether it's a line or a piece of the set decoration or a piece of the costuming or fucking Boba Fett or whatever. And to be able to do that with a 
movie about three women in three different time periods, one of whom is Virginia Woolf, one of whom is a lesbian, you know, book editor in, in New York City. And to find the same kind of weird ephemera and like little like specific shit. And the fact that like, I can now, I sometimes wonder it's a chicken or the egg thing. Like, have I trained my social circle to be attuned to the hours because I won't shut up about it? Or have I like found the, my people as we've all sort of like coalesced to each Mm. other, but like, I can say the crab thing and like 80% of my good friends know what I'm talking about. I'm just like, that's I've, I've found the right place in my life. So I don't know. I think that this term is, I love the crab thing. I love the crab thing. Of course it makes a difference. I love the crab thing. I think this term isn't said enough for, for, you know, for this film is that is the romance of it all. The, Mm. like we were saying swoon and this, like it's, there is something so, um, densely romantic and in and, and, and dripping, like you said, dripping with the time period, um, yeah. dripping with the longings and the stairs and just literally like you feel the need for life. And, and it's so funny because I, 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 you know, so many critics said how depressing this was and yes. what a depressing city it is, but I don't think that oh. at all. No, me <laughs> Absolutely either. not. No. It's life affirming. I, another, Mariah and I always used to say this, Jay, the line that we would repeat over and over is, I don't accept this. I don't accept what you say. (laughs) (laughs) We would just say it over, over like the teeniest little thing. (laughs) It's true. Or the way that um, uh, Claire Danes as Julia says, um, she saw Lewis on the street on her way in and she goes, I bumped into Lewis Waters. Oh, you did? Where? In the street. They're all here, aren't they? All the ghosts, all the ghosts are assembling for the party. He's so weird. Oh, what? You can't see that? You can't see that Lewis Waters is weird? I can see that he's sad. Well, all your friends are sad. Such a good oh, line. It's such a good Claire delivery. Danes. I am a full, full, full Claire Danes all the time. I've seen every episode of Homeland the night it came out. Wonderful. I never miss it. I don't think anyone <laughs> on film is dares to do as much as Claire Danes Danes to do. Like yeah. I'm I am really in awe of her. And I love seeing baby Claire Danes here just like hitting it with Meryl, like with no fear. Ugh. I just last night watched again for like maybe the 10th time, uh, William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet. Uh, where, yes. And she's, and it reminded me. <laughs> I that you call it Romeo plus Juliet. I, it's, that's just what that's, it is. That's it's the just, title. That's the official title. <laughs> that's not an and, that's a plus it's sign. It's a plus, that's a plus sign. It's iconic. Um, my favorite Baz Luhrmann <laughs> movie. It's so wonderful. She's fantastic. And it reminded me also of what a, my so-called life kid I was as a teenager. I was so into that show. So like Claire Danes really does hold this like very iconic piece of my teen years. And so anytime I see her in something, it's her and Winona Ryder kind of are the two sort of like angst queens. Angst queens, exactly. Do you know Um, what my 
Clara Danes' Assances, every year I accidentally watch Stardust. And I truly mean oh, by wow. accident. Like it's Iconic like. Iconic Michelle Pfeiffer representation. It starts and then I say, I'm not doing this again. Oh, I'm not doing this again. And then I do the <laughs> whole thing again. I'm like, she's a star. She's like, what? At the end, she's like, watch what a star, what does a star do? Shines bright. <laughs> and I, and it's, it, I have no, I just did it. I just, I did it like two weeks ago. I'm not kidding. Every year I'm like, uh oh. Uh. It's happening. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, I love that in that scene though when she's Meryl's trying to explain to her. I remember one morning getting up at dawn. There was such a sense of possibility. You know that feeling? And I, and I remember thinking to myself, so this is the beginning of happiness. This is where it starts. And of course, there'll always be more. (laughs) Never occurred to me. It wasn't the beginning. It was happiness. It was the moment. Right then. And it's this whole idea, it's something I work on in therapy a lot, like this idea of like, how can I be in the moment yep. rather than trying to project a story of my life? I think about that scene a lot. Yeah. Let's get into the Julianne Moore of it all. Yes, let's. Oh yeah, come on. Let's get the Laura Brown of it all Let's on bake now. that cake. Let's bake that cake, kids. Let's because here's, here's, here's one of my, here's my, um, here's my gay boy thesis is, uh, is I feel like these two characters are trying to figure out a reason to survive and how to, and Virginia is getting ready to die. She's the one that has to die so that these two women can live. And I, there's my thesis, mamas. And I, um, and I really think it's so, and this is who I am. This is who I am. I've always wanted. You're a full Laura Brown. I'm a full Laura Brown. I always, I knew, I knew that. I knew that. I know that, I can't I survive that. on my own. And so yeah. I know I have to hide who I am to marry a man and, to, and raise a child, even though I deeply don't want to, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> I have, and I also have always held people to the highest esteem when they, when they leave their small children and husband and become someone else. I find become that li- Canadian librarian. Canadian librarian. I found that very brave. I yeah. find that very brave oh. and courageous and not despicable at all. So, Me either. okay. She chose life. Stories. She chose, stories. Life. She chose life. Okay. Stories. First of all, the only performance I'm not really for in this movie is John C. Riley as this terrible husband. I mean, he does a That's good what job he's supposed to be. Husband. That's what he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be this dope. Uh, I, I think I was just at like a John C. Riley saturation point in 2003. Oh, this was the John C. Riley saturation year for sure. I was like, I can't do it anymore. I can't. Also, in the book, he's supposed to be like a really like jockey, thoughty snack. And oh, it's to, yeah. It's supposed to be like, why did he marry Laura Brown, this plain Jane? And instead, it's flipped because you're right. like, you've got glamour queen right. of the universe, right. Julianne Moore, with frumpy husband. Okay, well, no. I wanted to play a really romantic game of Mary Fucker Kill with the boys of the hours. So I think <laughs> I know you're killing who you're killing. I'm killing him. I'm yeah, fucking, you gotta. Oh, I'm see, fucking Steve, I'm no, I'm marrying Stephen Delane because yep. he's gonna take care of me with yep. my mental illness, absolutely. and I'm gonna full on fuck Ed Harris. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's the way you do it. Yep. Oh, see, not me. Jay. I'm marrying 
John C. Riley. Riru just look like too thick, like don't know what's going on kind of guys. And they'd be like, oh, a couple makes sense. They're at the grocery store getting sour cream again. They keep buying like a lot of sour cream. Oh my God. You know, and so I feel like that's my energy is John C. Riley. Like, hey, do you want to watch Ed and Hardy? I don't know. Like, Laurel and Hardy again? Wasn't he in Laurel and Hardy? <laughs> yes. Yes, he was in Laurel and Hardy. To me, Fuck, Mary Kill always has very stringent rules, which is. Yes, you, tell me. You, you marry for money. Like, that's my that's my main concern for which one you marry. So now I'm trying to think who would have the most money of these three guys. Like, has. <sighs> Has Richard amassed enough money being like a doesn't poet, look author? like it. I'm sorry, there's only one person with servants, boys. That's, that's the that's the point. That's the point <laughs> I want, right there. I would I would not be afraid of the servants. No, absolutely not. No. In fact, like probably like have a drink with Nelly at the end of the night or whatever. Oh, okay. I'm fucking Richard because I think he looks like a beast in bed. I feel like <laughs> he's like like once he gets done like reading me a fucking hundred page. He'll make poem. you feel bad about yourself in the middle of it. Yeah. Like by the end you'll be you'll be happy. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be cry. I feel like I'm gonna cry no matter what, good or bad. <laughs> After every sash. <laughs> I feel like he is going to kiss my shoulder and I'm going to think about it for the rest of my life. <laughs> yes, Clarissa does. <laughs> yeah. Um, my favorite Laura Brown for the Laura Brown of it all. Yes. And this is, uh, it goes back to my thesis of inner self, outer self. When she is on that fucking toilet at the end of the movie. Yep. And she says, I'm terrified. What? Well, the idea she could disappear. Maybe you could go see her in the morning, honey. I was going to. I was going to stop by. And she has this outward voice. And I swear, in that moment, she is making a promise to her future self. Yeah. She's making her plan. She's making a promise. And I just want to send a message out there to anybody who is in trouble. You can get help. Send a message to your future self about how you're going to survive being married to a terrible husband or being in a rough situation. We believe in you. Help us out there. We'll put it on, I don't know, our website or something. See, I'm more anti that kid. I think watch out if you have a terrible kid. <laughs> if you have a terrible kid, that kid run, is obsessed drive away. With her. Ooh, ooh, if a child looked at me like that, I would I would call 911. I'd be I like, think it's so, it's such, that's the most fascinating thing about Laura to me is. Because obviously, like, this movie is really playing on these notions of this sort of uh, cultural image we have of, like, perfect 50s, idyllic, suburban housewife, whatever. All this sort of stuff. And she has everything. She's got the house and the fence and the husband and the car and all that. Um, But she can't make a cake. And she uh, doesn't fit in at all. And she looks at this, like, adoring cute little child playing Ew. you know whatever you like Lincoln this baby on the corner no this is what i'm saying though he is like the picture of adoring little child and he looks at her with this such like <laughs> open love and need and she's like i can't handle mm. any of this like i the the, yeah. I, the more the kid loves and needs her the more she is absolutely just like not equipped to deal with it and i love that do you know what her look to me is heart she's heartbroken when that like can you like she does such a good thing of like looking at something that wants love and is trying to give love and it breaks her heart to be in the presence of that and it's like whoa she is truly not meant for this yeah. No, and the and the amount of guilt she accepts or the amount of blame she accepts at the end with 
Clarissa is so, ugh, it's it's monumental. What Julianne Moore does in this and how she was perfecting the 50s housewife, especially this year where she does this and Far From Heaven Absolutely. in one year Absolutely. is so uh, towering. And, and she, I mean, ugh, she's so good. And she is so, I, when I first saw this movie, I, she was my least favorite of the three performances back when I thought I would have to rank things and right. not just celebrate right. all 11 plus divas in this movie. Right. And just love them for what they all can do. I mean, cancel the Oscars, <laughs> rename them the hours is, and just give them, all give them all. the awards. It's, no, it's so true. And it's funny because you mentioned Julianne Moore and Far From Heaven, both that same year. Everybody, almost everybody surrounding this movie has this like multiple things going on all at the same time. You mentioned John C. Riley. He's in three of the best picture nominees that all opened within like two weeks of each other in December that year. So that was like John C. Riley overload. Meryl was nominated this year, not for the hours, but for adaptation because like she had so much going on. Nicole is just coming off of her year where she did Moulin Rouge and the, the others in the scene. fire that was like, and that was her just like, I am divorced and now I am the best actress in this country. Oh, and mm-hmm. my God. And then Tony Collette this year is in the hours. And this was also the same year that she was in about a boy, which I think she's fantastic. Amazing. In. Amazing. In oh, yeah. oh, and Kitty, the kitty of it all though. I Kitty feel is so amazing. So I fantastic. feel like Stephen Daldry is obsessed with Tony Collette in this film. Do you guys yes. get that? Like, as I feel he like be. yes, as he should be. Yeah. You know, he like he's he just lets her run, and the camera just like frames her face so beautifully and so so interestingly. She seems so brightly lit in this with that red yeah. lipstick. It's like mm-hmm. it was almost alien. I remember when I first saw it. I was like, Kitty feels like an alien crashing down on this film. Yeah. She also makes the opposite choices of the book. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful there's a beautiful line in the book where she said it says Kitty is not one of those women who try to seduce other people's children. And Tony Collette does the opposite. <laughs> she comes in and she goes, "Hi, Richie." And she's literally trying to seduce this little boy. She's hungry for a baby. Yeah. Tony Collette was like, "Let me rip these pages out. I got a different plan." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She has that one line where she says, well, first of all, she's like reading Laura up and down about not being able to bake a cake. Or <laughs> she's just like, oh, look, made a cake. I know. Didn't work. I thought it was going to work. I thought it would work better than that. <laughs> oh, Laura, I don't understand why you find it so difficult. I don't know either. Okay. Anyone can make a cake. I know. Everyone can. It's ridiculously easy. <laughs> like, I bet you didn't even grease the pan. I greased the pan. All right. But then she says, she sees the book on the counter, and she goes, Oh, you're reading a book? Yeah. What's this one about? Like, it's so... Just subtle judgment, but in this, like, very kind of, like, kind of loving way where you can tell they're very, like, they're very good friends, but also she is everything that Laura cannot be. Mm. And, but Kitty can't have kids. That's the other thing. It's just, like, these two women who basically just, like, are good at what the other one can't have. And... 
It's amazing. And what this movie does to show like all the different fucked up ways society will fuck with women. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you can have kids, they'll put you in a cage. If you can't have kids, they'll put you in a cage. It's like every single way that that America has made or the Western society has made, we'll keep England in it too, to just take the women put them in cages, no matter who they are, or even if they're a genius writer, let's put her in a cage in Richmond. Right. Because let me tell you what, she's dying in this town. She's dying in this town. I'm dying in this town. I love it. She also (laughs) has that great line. Oh my God. Laura also has that line where she says, um, uh, they deserved it. She's talking about their husbands. And she says, these guys are something, aren't they? You can say that again. They came home from the war. They deserved it, didn't they? After what they'd been through. What did they deserve? I don't know, us, I guess. It was just like, oh yeah, that was like, that's the mentality of that entire era, which Mm -hmm. is these men went off to war and they came back and like these women were their reward. And then for the rest of their lives, they like sacrificed their entire sense of selves they, they had to quit the Georgia Peaches. They could yes. no longer play baseball. Thank you for bringing the other great movie about women into this conversation. Oh. I I also think in that seg in in um in Laura's segment, every character, her son, um, Kitty, and her husband, all look at her and don't actually ever see her. Yeah. So she's constantly almost comatose reacting. And we see that. Do you know we see that she is literally dying inside and everyone yeah is forcing, you know, forcing upon her what she should be as yeah. this like, you know, suburban housewife. Yep. Um, and then John C. Know- Riley says it at the birthday party. He says, I had an idea of our happiness. Yep, that's it. And then do you know who the one who finally sees her in the movie is Claire Danes? I Julia. love that scene. That's a really great scene. I thought you might like a cup of tea. Oh my goodness. Thank you, dear. I feel like I'm stealing your room. Um, we put the food away, so if you're at all hungry in the night, just help yourself. I will. Where will you sleep? Oh, the sofa. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Good night, sweetheart. Good night. And it's a scene where you could see that they might have been, like, tempted to cut it or, like, because it doesn't really have a ton to do plot wise, but it like, it's, you need that scene so crucially for Laura at the end of it, that it's someone else's daughter and being so like sort of sweet to her, but also like absolutely seeing the value in the sort of life she chose. And cause also Julia has that great line to Sally where Laura's there and she's talking to Clarissa and they're in the kitchen and she just goes, well, so that's the monster. It's just like, right. Mm-hmm. Like this like woman who like, was so demonized by, you know, Richard and by society for leaving her children. And it's just this, you know, nice little Canadian librarian. And when, and when Meryl tells her that she didn't know Julia's father mm-hmm. and Laura Brown responds. You so wanted a child. That's right. You're a lucky woman. You're lucky to have that one. Yep. Like, I mean, and Laura Brown like gets to go to sleep in like a full lesbian household of women. <laughs> like favorite. I'm so like <laughs> Laura Brown. I really hope Laura Brown found that other librarian and they lived the full children's Truly. hour, the better version. Truly. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yes, the happy, the happy ending version. The happy, of the, the happy hour. version. In my mind, I mean, it wasn't like that because life is terrible. But right. I mean, thank God she just got to read some books and people had to be quiet and leave the <laughs> fuck alone. Also, I will say for as much hullabaloo was made about Kidman's nose prosthetic and, you know, Denzel Washington being quite rude to her when he gave her the Oscar and said, buy a nose. Fuck you, Denzel. I hated that. I've, As I've, if there's I've never been any uh, any other altered faces on fucking screen. Did they tell Robert De Niro, buy a fucking fat suit or whatever? He wasn't. No, he actually gained weight. He gained that weight. Of, but whatever. <laughs> but like still, you know what I mean? Like actors do gimmicks all the time. Like Jesus Christ. But also. It's also like, not a gimmick. She was playing a very, very. Like Barnes and Noble had Virginia Woolf's face everywhere in the aughts. And, Hello. And the fact that she had to keep talking about it in interviews really disgusts me. They like, this is a great, beautiful movie. And they right. want to like downsize it by like, right. hey, you, you did what everyone does on stage and screen since the beginning is alter your fucking look. Like, right. Come on. come on. It's gross. Boom. But also, it also obscures the fact that the old age makeup on Julianne Moore at the end is fantastic. Like, <gasps> so, so well done. Yes. I, yes. I wrote yes. down, we are so lucky to be alive at a time when Julianne Moore <laughs> is making cinema. We yep. I like seeing her that old. I was like, oh, I can't wait for the 80 year old Julianne Moore of it all. Yes. I can't wait for the like. You know, she's going to be Queen 60 Tyrell that she's going to give in the new, <laughs> yeah. the only on a Tyrell that Julianne Moore is going to give out. Oh my yes, God. Yes, please. That's a Game of Thrones reference, Jason. <laughs> it's Diana Riggs. Diana Riggs. Rest in peace. Dame Diana rest. Rigg. I know. So uh, good. Okay. But speaking of, speaking of Nicole Kidman and yes. this performance that won the Oscar, I yes. can't go out without talking about the train platform scene and my husband, Stephen Delane. He's one so of my great. favorite performances in this movie. He's so great in this movie i love him so much game of thrones the the segue i like that i appreciate that he's so fantastic and also the fact that like the both of them are just their emotional crescendos hit at the same time which Mm -hmm. is so like they're so in sync with each other and he's like leonard wolf is a goddamn sweetheart in this movie and i yes he is i absolutely adore him and his love for virginia that character he sort of steps into these moments where he doesn't afford Virginia the humanity that she like demands and is screaming for. And he's telling her, you know, but you know, we must go home now. Nellie's cooking dinner. She's already had a very difficult day. It's just our obligation to eat Nellie's dinner. There is no such obligation. No such obligation exists. Virginia, you. Yep. (gasps) But then he comes around, but then he actually like listens to her at that train station scene. I think that's the thing that sometimes gets obscured because it's this like big, big acting moment and whatever, which by the way, justice for big, big acting moments. Sometimes people Uh, get a little huffy about that kind of shit. Not here. Not here. They don't. Not on this sweet little podcast island. We want that. I'm dying in this town. But he listens to her. He hears, he actually hears her when she says that. And like, and he relents and he knows that by relenting, He's he like he sees that little vision of the future that will be her walking into that, you know, river with rocks at some point. Like he knows she, this isn't going to end well, but he knows he has to give this to her. And the, in, in a way, she's the most, uh, you know, Jay, you're so right. She died so that they could live. She's like the pioneer in this when she says, this is my right. It is the right of every human being. I choose not the suffocating anesthetic of the suburbs, but the violent jolt of the capital. That is my choice. The meanest patient, yes, even the very lowest, is allowed some say in the matter of her own prescription. Thereby she defines her humanity. 
sake, Leonard, I could be happy in this quietness. But if it is a choice between Richmond and death, I choose death. Very well, London then. We go back to London. You cannot find peace by avoiding life, Leonard. I mean, I would like to disagree with Virginia Woolf, like that we can't avoid life, because I sure am trying. Yeah, I, know. I sure am doing my best I to know. avoid all of it right now. But we're doing it so that we can experience life in a year or so. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm building a bunker of nostalgia and just watching movies from 2003. <laughs> I, I don't know where to where this where to go with this, but um, the another parallel that I see is Richard and Virginia, who are both geniuses, right? And yeah. they and geniuses, you know, the fine line of genius and crazy is that they always right. require caregivers to yeah. keep them alive, mm-hmm. and they and because of their genius, people really stay with them and and support them, and at the same time, are the genius is always threatening death onto yeah. their job. Yeah. And they are worn down. We see both of these, both of their caregivers being yep. exhausted with the, with yep. the role and having to acquiesce to that. Their end is near, you yep. know, that you can tell that they both know that their end is near. And they both have to try and distract themselves with other things. We're right. like Virginia's throwing the party. Leonard's got all that printing press business that he like <laughs> tries so very hard to dedicate himself to when, you know, all he's thinking of is just like, What's Virginia doing now? Is she eating properly? Is she has she mm-hmm. run away? Like what's going on? And, and when he tries to say that it's, uh, it was made for a remedy for Virginia, and she says like needlework, it's actually a remedy for him to keep busy. Yeah. Yes. You know, while she writes one of the greatest books of all time. Right. I mean this this book also was my gateway into reading Mrs. Dalloway, which I did read in a single day. Oh wow, that's when wonderful. I was in college, and is it is really the way to do it like read it in a day kids. i gotta read it's it it's beautiful it's, i gotta do oh that. my god you'll but oh, oh but the heartbreak i think there's nothing more more heartbreaking than to tell someone that your love was was the greatest thing in my life and it still couldn't save it what i want to say is that i owe all the happiness of my life to you you have been entirely patient with me and incredibly good Everything is gone from me, but the certainty of your goodness. I can't go on spoiling your life any longer. I don't think two people could have been happier than we have been. I mean, I think you you expressed it very well earlier. You sort of, you want to walk the fine line of not sort of beautifying her suicide by the end, but like her words are so incredibly, and like Kidman's delivery of it is so well, when she just talks about like... Dear Leonard, to look life in the face, always to look life in the face, and to know it for what it is. At last, to know it. To love it for what it is, and then 
to put it away. It's such a wonderful sort of like turn of phrase there that you at least it what it does is it puts you into her mindset and it like makes you understand Leonard. what she's mm-hmm. you know what her character is and where her character is always the years between us always the years always the love always the hours so beautiful a girl we're deeply for virginia wolf yeah jesus um this okay that i mean i feel like that is the whole movie and i feel like we can move on to an oscar game with you do yes. you boys feel happy with that i'm very happy with that <laughs> yeah i'm just i keep like i just keep imagining virginia wolf going into a starbucks and being like can i get that chai latte with a couple squirts of, <laughs> with a couple squirts of pumpkin and and by the way do you have any rocks around here <laughs> darling any rocks make, make it a trend make it a trend i'm going on a long walk <laughs> <laughs> We were like, we have to do this for fall. This is the perfect oh, yes. fall movie. Yes, we really were, and we weren't. We weren't kidding or being facetious. We September were like, release. Oh, we didn't even tell our origins, Nick. We've already done we've, this. We've done this movie before. One of our first when we were not our first. This was like our last podcast. one that we tried. Yeah, we did a lot of test episodes. I don't know if we, you guys did test episodes. We did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you yes. fail? Because we failed and failed and failed. Well, we until this like. One. We had a lot of growing pains early on with our audio quality. We really mm-hmm. like tinkered and, and tailored and we had a full episode on the history boys that we fully junked because the audio was so bad that we had to just like leave it behind and maybe we'll do that yeah. movie again. But yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, we did this movie. We did this movie and it was finally like, oh, that's, we kind of, and we talk about this a lot. We're like on this podcast, if something doesn't fully spark joy, yeah. like full on jumping up and down in your chair joy, yeah. we we don't cover it. The movie yeah. we did and before this, really this was Where the Heart Is. And I oh still- Oh my God, Where the Heart Is. I know, I still feel like I could go back. I think we, we also just didn't, we didn't have our, uh, you know, we didn't have our waiting in the lake legs yet. So yeah. Yeah. We, we didn't have our, we didn't have our diving into the Thames and our woolen coat. You were not yet. ready to talk about the movie where Stocker Channing plays a character named Sister Husband. And I understand. I get Sister it. Husband. I mean, I want to get a sister. I just want a tattoo on my forearm that says Sister Husband. <laughs> okay. Oscar games. Okay. Oscar okay. games. Yes. Here's my first one. Um, I think Meryl should have had a nomination for this and should have had a double nomination year, just like Julianne Moore. So who would you have kicked? Would you have put her in lead or supporting? And who would you have kicked out of that category in order to make room for Meryl? Joe, you start. You're the guest. Okay. I mean, my big uh, The Hours opinion is that they're all leads. I get why they they tinkered it. Uh, because you want to, you know, maximize your chances for everybody to get nominated. And Julianne was already in lead for Far From Heaven. So they put her in supporting. I get it. Um, I think Meryl absolutely deserved a lead actress nomination. Okay, so she's up against, it's her, it's Julianne Moore in Far From Heaven, who isn't going anywhere. She's right there. It's Diane Lane in Unfaithful. It's her only nomination. I would hate to take away her only nomination. Joe is doing this, I think, off the top of his head right now, y'all. Okay, so. Unlike me, who has the full Wikipedia (laughs) 75th Annual Academy Awards in front of him. So I think your two contenders, it's Salma Hayek and Frida, which is also her only nomination. 
and I've never seen Frida. It's on Netflix now, and it's all it's like at the top it's of good. my queue. I want to see it. It's you know obviously Julie Taymor and uh, an iconic Ashley Judd uh, uh, lesbian moment, which mm-hmm. who doesn't love that? Um, and then Renee in Chicago, who got a lot of flack at the time because she wasn't a singer, she wasn't a dancer, all that sort of stuff. I rewatched Chicago very recently and it's so fantastic to me. And I do think like, she's not as good as like Catherine Zeta Jones or Queen Latifah in that movie, but I think she got too much hate for it. I think if you're in a movie and a movie is able to like, you know, cut around and whatever, like you, it's not the same requirements as being on stage. So she couldn't do this performance on Broadway. She could uh, in a movie that said, I still think she's probably the one I remove, especially because knowing that she would win the very next year for Cold Mountain anyway. Um, I would and that she would get her, her best actress revenge for singing in Judy. For Judy anyway, yes. So yeah, I think it's Renee. I think it's Renee that I get rid of. Ditto. I cut Renee out. But I also have an idea. We could cut the entire best actor category <laughs> and just have 10 nominations for women because well, I don't care for any of those performances at all. Except maybe Jack Nicholson and About Schmidt. I was going to say, I really do like Jack Nicholson and About Schmidt that year. Everyone else can go away. Well, listen, let me, let me say something controversial here is that I think, and we're not trying to pit these women, they're all equally great. I think that, well, this is one, maybe one of my, I think Meryl Streep's character is probably would be the, is the hardest to play. Virginia yeah. Woolf is very clearly going through something. Um, Laura Brown is very clearly going through something. It's, it's, it's way more of a tightrope of what um, Clarissa's, Clarissa is going through. And I, mm-hmm. and and yeah. she, Clarissa, explains it all to you ah! with her face, and she does, and she continues does, and she continues to hold that line, and yeah. and, mm-hmm. and 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 that is, I, I don't know that many actresses whose hands they could actually carry that through until the very end. So I'm a, I'm I'm putting Meryl in this in this movie as she's the one that I would want. I mean, to win. Here's really here's what I'll also say because people talk about like the greatest Meryl performances and it's mm-hmm. Sophie's Choice and it's you know Kramer versus Kramer and all fantastic. This is one of her best performances. This is like top five. Absolutely, for bar none. Yeah. For me, bar for none. me, I think so. Yeah, and so and I love Nicole and I I, I would have I I there's so many other things too that I would give Nicole. I mean, I would have given it to her the year before for the others, but um, I yes. just love that, that movie. Well. Yeah. I love that movie. Okay, so for supporting actress, if we got to add one of our actual supporting actresses, a Miranda, a Tony, an Allison, who would we add and who would we bounce from the category? Oh, okay. I don't, I, well, I have so, no idea. Catherine Zeta-Jones wins for Chicago. Queen Latifah is also nominated for Chicago. I love both mm-hmm. of them. Meryl for Adaptation is fantastic. And then the other two, I'll get this. It's going to be uh, Kathy Bates for About Schmidt, who I wow. love Kathy Bates, but that's not a performance I ever really think about a whole ton. And then uh, and then Julianne, right. So I probably get rid of Kathy Bates and I add Tony Collette. Oh. Mm. Mm. I, I get rid of Catherine Zeta-Jones and add ah. Miranda Richardson. And then I would give Catherine Zeta-Jones an Academy Award later for her Instagram stories. <laughs> for Casa Zeta-Jones, yes, very good. Honestly, for if you all are following Jones. Casa Zeta-Jones, like, get get on. That, with your life. What are you doing with your hours, my friend? Um, what would I do? Yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, I think I would probably submit Margot Martindale. 
<laughs> There's nothing right, like right, holding right, a no, devil, devil child. Yeah. As your Mrs. Lad having to hold the devil child. She, I was like, let him go, let him go, let him run in the street. And then she does. And I was like, wow, I'm so in touch with this character. <laughs> you and Margot are just psychically connected. And then, she, and then she's like, she's years. like, and she could tell too. She's like, if this is a running theme that I don't like children, then I don't know what is. But she's like, we had a good time. We had a good time. <laughs> Mrs. Latch is one of the characters, too, where it's like, it's Mrs. Latch, it's Nellie in Virginia Story, and it's Barbara, who, like, they all can see through, like, what's going on, really. In uh-huh. these Mrs. The, help, like, the help knows. She's going to kill herself. Yeah, yeah, basically. She's like, when she comes back and she's just like, haircut, huh? And it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, like, Mrs. Latch. Yeah, right. Yeah. Are there any other final bops? of Because like, I have one final line bop that I have to put in there. And it's from... The scene with Barbara in the flower shop, and I say it all the time, oh, which is. Too. And, um, oh, oh, let's, let's just, just have, have buckets of roses. Buckets of, of roses. roses. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she also, what does she say? She says, uh, is it lilies that are too morbid? Lilies too morbid. Too morbid. Um, hydrangeas, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, this has shaped all of my views on flowers <laughs> for the rest of my life. And I also want to say that Meryl's outfit in the first half of this movie, I could wear every day for the rest of my life forever and ever. High-waisted stonewashed jeans, a powder blue turtleneck, a big kind of lambskin coat yep. and these little like okay. blue okay. tinted glasses. Okay, but you know what I can't stop thinking about and and I'm trying not to clue on it when I watch this movie is that I'm obsessed with her earrings. So I start getting on this thread like I'm going to get her earrings. I'm going to get her earrings. And then you realize that one of the beads is missing from one of the earrings. Anne Roth, Anne Roth, Anne Roth oh my is a God. genius. <laughs> and, I've never noticed that. I got to go watch it Oh, it's obs- And then I become obsessed with thinking about how, what is this woman that loves these earrings so much that she's still missing one of the beads on it, but she's going to wear it for this very important day. Oh, that's amazing. And I love- Roth's portraiture with clothes is matched by no one else. That last scene where she goes back into the bedroom with Sally and she's like taking off every layer of like, coat and sweater and turtleneck and necklaces that she like has to like haul over her because it's just like Cindy Lauper style necklaces oh my god yeah that okay also costumes a plus uh Clarissa's apartment in in on 10th street in the village in this movie is an endless source of fascination because at some at one point you look at the floor plan the seating chart for this uh party that she's throwing that uh when sally makes the note about how you sat me with all the x's honey which <laughs> um but like there's like eight tables on this like little seating so chart. many like, tables in that tiny you, room how big is this place where did you put the furniture that is normally in this living room do you remember you that to... documentary they made about the hotel and the shining yes yes i want you to make a documentary about clarissa vaughn's 10th street apartment because also that kitchen is enormous like i'm so i'm i can't i think about it all the time i think and also the fact that like those live crabs were just like chilling in that sink <laughs> i mean really it's giving me the crab thing was so big this day is at least Listen, they show her like hauling this thing into the trash. By the way, the whole thing goes into the trash. It breaks my heart every single time. Listen, it's some some sort of like crab souffle thermidor kind of thing. Of course, it makes a difference. I love the crab thing. Does Julia not want to just like dip some bread in the I was going to say, get a fucking like. La- point or I was more just upset like- with the cake wasting. I that br- I, that always gets. I was just like, just eat it. Just someone you can eat that. It's still gonna taste fucking good. 
It looks oh delicious. My but my thing is like what it gave me, what it gave my little boy heart is that I grew up on the Martha Stewart magazine religiously. It was that in Entertainment Weekly were my like rags. And I really, with my Martha Stewart, uh, you know, never really cared to learn how to do it all. But watching this movie and reading those magazines, I thought, so at some point I become this. <laughs> I just become, this is just what you do. You have pot, yes. you have, you have gorgeously glazed pots. You yes. have perfect China. Mm-hmm. You have everything's books. got a copper bottom to it. You got a yeah, copper yeah. bottom. And I really believe like you have built in shelves. Yeah. You just get that when you move you in. You have somewhere. a kitchen island with like all of these sort of pots and pans hanging over it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you have I knitwear just... for days, just knitwear, knitwear, <laughs> knitwear. It's every morning when I crack an egg, I pretend I'm Clarissa Vaughn. I, You're separating the yolk. I, I've I never, just, for no reason. I've never separated an egg without thinking about that. Like absolutely, just like fully living oh. my marital fantasy as I'm like separating a yolk. It's so glamorous oh. to me now. Yeah. Well, Joe, will you come back on this podcast Please. buckets of times? Yes. With oh my us? God. Yes. Absolutely. Please. Thank you so much. <laughs> this was oh my God, fabulous. This was fabulous. So much fun. So much fun. Everyone listen to this had Oscar buzz. And before you do that, rate, review, and subscribe this podcast and download it. And join our Patreon where you can give us money to listen to us continue to talk about the hours, the bug. <laughs> yeah, that's an exciting Fantastic. plug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much. This was Thank really you, fun. Joe. This was wonderful. Thank you, Joe. Oh, we love you. We love you, Battle Angels. Go uh, watch the hours, read the hours, and uh, take care of your mental health. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.